than last week. Next week, we talk about the, about the Mount of Olives. We talk about Mount Ararat, where, where um, Noah touched down the ark. We talked about Mount Moriah, Abraham sacrificing his son, or called to do that. And we talked about uh, Mount Sinai, Mount Carmel. And today I want to talk to you about Mount Calvary, also called Mount Moriah. And it's here at Mount Moriah that we answer that question, how, how am I cleansed or washed clean? How is my sin taken away? When I climbed Mount uh, Sulphur, I mentioned it to you last week, uh, Chris Silke and I made it to the first uh, peak, but in fact there were, there were two more peaks. Tim and Nicholas made it to the second peak, but we were told after that the, it was the third peak that was the highest, and that was actually the summit. Now, Mount Moriah is kind of like that. It's got a number of high points. But the highest point, the summit, is called actually uh, Golgotha, or another word for it is Mount Calvary. Now, I just want to say this to you. Um, when you go to Jerusalem, Jerusalem is actually at Mount Moriah, but you literally go up to Jerusalem, and if anybody's traveled to Jerusalem, Kevin, remember that? You actually go up to Jerusalem. And if you go to the temple, which is where uh, the, Sol- the temple that Solomon built, it is actually at, at, uh, at one of the highest points on Mount Moriah. And remember we said a number of weeks ago that Mount Moriah was the place that Abraham went as commanded by God to sacrifice his son. I want to talk about that in just a moment. But let me just say this, that the temple was built at the high place at Mount Moriah, a place where sacrifices to God were to made for the atonement of sin, or for the, to pay for our sins. Now, let me, just, let me just show you this slide here of uh, Golgotha. I don't know if, uh, if, anybody, if you've ever seen that, Kevin. You'll remember this. This is a view from the, uh, uh, from the tomb where they believe Jesus was laid. But you can see actually the mountain. You can see in the side of the mountain what looks like the skull. Do you see that? This, this here is the highest point on Mount Moriah. This is the highest place, and this is the place where it is said that Jesus was actually crucified, right on top of this mountain. Now, interestingly... The reason it's not developed, because if you go to Jerusalem, it, there's not a square inch available, but this actually was developed into a Muslim graveyard uh, centuries ago. So it has been, it's been left uh, untouched, just the way it is. But let's, uh, let's zero in on that a little bit so you can see it clearer. Do you see the, does everybody see the skull there? That is what Golgotha means. And in fact, all of the the Gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all say that Jesus was crucified at the place called Golgotha, the place of the skull. This is, this is the highest point on Mount Moriah. And here's the thing, friends, is that wherever you are, um, uh, on top of Mount Moriah, you could always see this place. This is a place that the Romans actually took for their own use, is a place where they crucify people so that everybody could see what happens to those who oppose the Roman Empire. And Jesus was seen as a, as a threat to the Roman Empire. Why? Because he was introducing a brand new kingdom, the kingdom of God. And all who put their faith in Jesus and what Jesus did at the cross would become part of that new kingdom. Caesar had no clue 
The people of Israel had no clue. No one had a clue what this kingdom was all about. And it was only after Jesus died at the cross and was resurrected that we begin to understand what the kingdom of God is really all about. Now, let me just tell you this about Mount Calvary or Golgotha. Uh, this, is, this is actually uh, the word Golgotha uh, in the Hebrew actually means the top of the skull. This is the place where Jesus was crucified, Golgotha, the top of the skull. And uh, the Apostle Paul, if you remember, when he is saved, when God comes to him and calls him, God calls him to do what? God calls him to go and not to, not to establish a religion. How many understand that? What God called the Apostle Paul to do was to go and tell people about what Jesus did at Golgotha. And so we read this in the, in the Scriptures. Here's the letter to the Corinthians, and, and uh, Paul says this to the Corinthians, the believers in Corinth. He says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Now, just stop there for a minute, because I'm not saying here today that, that baptism is not important, and the Apostle Paul is definitely not saying that. Baptism is very important, because it, it signifies that we identify with Christ. But the Apostle Paul is saying even more important than baptism is the message. And he says this, Not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness. you get that? The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing or those who are dying. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence, intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Now, why would the Apostle Paul write these words? I'll tell you why. Because when he was dealing with the Christians in Corinth, you know what he discovered? He discovered there were some major fights going on about religion. And someone, some people were saying, well, I am, uh, I've been baptized by Apollos. And another one says, I've been baptized by Peter. And the Apostle Paul says, and some of you are saying, I've been baptized by the Apostle Paul. And, and some felt that because they were baptized by, by Peter, that they had a better baptism, and they were somehow better, more spiritual, more religious, and, more, and, and, and you know, the, the, the fights go on over religion. The Apostle Paul comes along and says, look, if you think that Christianity is all about establishing more religion and going through rituals and liturgies, then you totally don't get it. Christianity is all about what Jesus Christ does for you and for me at the cross. And the Apostle Paul says people hear that message and they think, what a bunch of nonsense. It sounds like foolishness to me. But yet, my friends, listen to me. It's at the cross that you and I find forgiveness for our sins. It's at the cross where our sins are washed away. Now, many of us can go to church for years and hear the story, come at Easter time, see the cross up, and we, we go through the rituals. We sometimes act out the, the, the crucifixion. But we could completely miss the point. My friends, listen to me today. Jesus satisfies the ancient, the age-old question. What will wash away my sin? What will take away this stain, this blot? I want to answer that today because we find the answer here at Golgotha. 
at Mount Calvary. And the very first thing I want to tell you is this, is that the answer to that question is found in a very ancient plan, God's ancient plan. And you read in Genesis chapter 22, and we, 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 we took a look at this in the second week of July when we started our series on Cross Church Goes to the Mountains. And it says this, Then God said to Abraham, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Do you hear that? The region of Moriah. That's what this is. Moriah. And sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. Listen to this. On one of the mountains I will tell you about. Did you get that? One of the peaks. It's Moriah. Now, I want you to see the parallels here, because if you, if you can see the parallels, I'm telling you, it will send chills up and down your spine to recognize that Jesus going to the cross was not an accident of history. It wasn't plan B, but it was God's very specific plan. In fact, you can even hear the parallels in Genesis 22, verse 2, and John 3:16. Take your son, your only begotten son, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. Abraham was asked by God to sacrifice his son. Now, Abraham understood what sacrifice is all about. Abraham understood that people sacrifice because of sin. That's why they make these sacrifices, because of the sinfulness of man. And Abraham must have wondered to himself, what have I done, God? What have I done that you would ask me to sacrifice my very own son? What great sin have I committed? And Abraham, understanding the sinfulness of his heart, recognizing how heinous sin is, went in obedience to God and prepared to offer up his own son. Now, I know some of you are thinking to yourself, boy, how barbaric this sounds. Remember what the Apostle Paul said? For the message of the cross is foolishness. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. I'm going to tell you right now, what I'm sharing with you is not easy to accept. This is very difficult to accept, and yet here it is. This is God's plan. This is the ancient plan. Now, before you let your prejudice and your feelings inside where you think, my, this is ridiculous, or this is, this is obscene, or this is, this is too much to bear, listen, just listen. Listen to God's plan. And then we could talk about what you think about it in just a moment. Abraham, in obedience to God, takes his son, prepares an altar. In fact, he gets his son to help him prepare the altar, pile of stones, then he binds his son's hands, and his son says, Dad, what are you doing? What's going on? Where, where's, where's the sacrifice lamb? Where, where's the animal that we're going to sacrifice? And Abraham, who has waited almost his entire life for his son, looks into the eyes of his beloved son and says, Son, you're it. You're the sacrifice. In obedience to God, Abraham raises his knife and is about to kill his son in preparation for sacrifice. And you know the story. The angel of God holds his hand back and says, don't do it. 
And at that very moment, Abraham looks off and he sees there caught in the thicket, caught in the bush, a ram. And at that moment, we come upon a new name for God. And it's Jehovah Jireh, our provider. And Abraham says, the Lord will provide. And to this day, this mountain, Mount Moriah, Mount Calvary, is called the place the Lord will provide. Because on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Let the Spirit of God speak to your heart right now. Because it's on the mountain of the Lord that your sins have been washed away. On the mountain of the Lord, God has provided forgiveness for your sins. This is the ancient plan, the plan of God. And we go a little bit further on in the Old Testament and we find Moses receiving instructions from God at Mount Sinai where God gives Moses very clear instructions about the sacrifices that need to take place. And we don't have time to get into all that today, but let me say this to you. Again, it's a shadow of what is to come in Jesus Christ. Jesus being the sacrifice that's once and for all. Now I want to tell you this, before we go any further, every sacrifice, and this is really important to understand it, so you understand that this is not an accident of history. This is God's ordained eternal plan. Every sacrifice that was slain on the north side of the altar of the temple, on Mount Moriah, was slain there, and then it was taken outside to the north of the temple where it was left and consumed. Now, guess where Mount Calvary is? It's to the north of the temple. Jesus is a fulfillment of God's eternal plan. Christ became the burnt offering and the peace offering and died on Golgotha the northern end of the mount, the temple mount, where sacrifices were made. Jesus is the fulfillment of the sin. He is the sin offering. Listen to what the scriptures say. He is our peace, having made peace by the blood of his cross. Therefore, be, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There was one sacrifice. It was called the sin offering which after being slain on the north side of the altar was taken outside the north wall of the city and burnt. And that's where you find Calvary. The Apostle Paul tells us that Jesus is, in fact, that sin offering. No longer do we need to sacrifice animals for our sin. There has been a sacrifice. His name is Jesus. And the Apostle Paul says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might have the righteousness of God. This is God's eternal plan. And you know what they used to do? They would take that animal that was about to be sacrificed on the altar for sin, for the people's sin. They would lay their hands on that animal, signifying the transfer of their sin onto that animal, and that animal would be burnt. It was called the scapegoat. Have you heard that expression before? That's what it was. It was a scapegoat. This was God's eternal plan. And we read in Isaiah 53, so that there's no question, no doubt, no room 
for doubt about God's plan. We read in Isaiah 53, what some call the gospel of the Old Testament. This is what we, this is what we read. And I'm taking snippets of that whole chapter. You need to read it sometime. Isaiah 53. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Lord has laid on Jesus the sin of us all. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. For the sin of my people he was stricken. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. This was God's plan. Jesus took your sin upon himself. Now, that's the ancient plan. Now I want to talk about the foolishness of this plan. I mean, it's foolish not to those who have believed in Jesus. It's foolishness to those who don't get it. It's foolishness to, to the, as the Apostle Paul says, the intelligent. And the intelligent have a hard time embracing this. The so-called intelligent. Because I can tell you, there's a lot of very intelligent people who get it. And here's the thing, my friends. I believe with all my heart, it takes the work of the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to see what Jesus has done for you. People will not automatically embrace this message of forgiveness of sins. We saw in that video clip the solution to your sin. All you have to do is forgive yourself, right? Just forgive yourself. Look in the mirror in the morning and say, I forgive you for being such a jerk. <laughs> I, I forgive you, Alan. And all my sins are taken away because I've forgiven myself. Well, you, you laughed at that because you recognize how absolutely ridiculous it is. And yet that is exactly what people believe today. This ancient question, what will wash away my sin? What will take it away? What will, what will take away that guilt and that shame? What will take it away? This is an ancient, ancient question. And in answer to that question, people have come up with all kinds of solutions through the ages, through the centuries, through the millennia. In Hinduism, they have what they call, and I'm not attacking religions right now, I'm just telling you what they believe. They believe in reincarnation, believing that somehow they'll have multiple chances to finally get it right so that they won't be bad people anymore. And if you just reincarnated enough times that somehow you're going to come back and finally, I did it, I, I, I made it through life without sinning in any way, shape, or form. And so the, yeah, someone said good luck. <laughs> Amen. That's the belief and then the estimate of how many times it takes to be reincarnated before you get it right is somewhere between at least 100 times, 100 lifetimes before you finally get it right. And in some cases, it might have to be an infinite number of times because some people just never get it right. Buddhism, they say what you need to do to deal with your sin is just to avoid suffering and gain enlightenment so that you can finally be released from the cycle of rebirth. They have another form of reincarnation. Confucianism says to fulfill one's role in society with propriety, honor, and loyalty. Not much talk of heaven. Scientology, anybody hear of Scientology? 
Has anybody heard of Tom Cruise? Has anybody seen Tom Cruise on Oprah's couch? Tom Cruise believes you gain spiritual freedom by ridding your mind of engrams, bad thoughts, and ultimately you'll be reincarnated to go through the whole process again. Islam says just simply obey God. Obey God and hopefully everything will turn out all right. Judaism says basically the same thing. Obey God, live ethically. Very little talk of heaven. Then Jesus comes along and says, I'm going to tell you how your sins can be washed away so that you can go to heaven. So you don't have to be reincarnated. You don't have to go through this again. How many want to do this life again? Some of the senior citizens here, I'm 48. I don't want to do this again, folks. <laughs> I've done it once. And anybody with me on this? Everybody? How many have one time is good enough for you? Yeah. Hi, sister. Good to see you. Uh, one time's good enough for me. When I began ministry 27 years ago, basically everybody had a church background. Basically everybody uh, knew who Jesus was. Basically everybody had a pretty good idea. They had a knowledge and a respect for the church and the message of Christ and dying for sins. But guess what? 27 years later, not so. Not so. I had the shock of my life when a little boy came in to the church and saw a picture of the prodigal son that I have hanging outside my office. And he said, what's this? I began to explain to him that it was a story told by Jesus Christ. And he said, who's Jesus Christ? At that moment, I knew that I was absolutely living in a new world. The world that I grew up in as a child is absolutely different from the world I live in now. In fact, theologians are calling this the postmodern era. Has anybody heard of that term? Nobody can tell you what it means, but we're living there. And I think what they're basically saying is that we're living in an era that knows nothing about Christ and, in fact, does not believe that the biblical model of salvation or the biblical message of God's truth is, uh, is necessarily absolute. In fact, they would say that all truth is, is equal and that your idea of truth and my idea of truth are, are equal. That was not the world I grew up in. Well, look at You could say whatever you want about the world we're living in today, you can call it postmodern if you want. You can call it post-Christian if you want. But here's the thing. Whatever you want to call it, the days that we're living in today are no different than the days that the Apostle Paul is preaching the gospel. And do you get what I'm saying here? And the Apostle Paul in his day says the same thing that I have to say to you today. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Whether you have a church background or not, it doesn't really matter. The point of the matter is this, is that at some point you're going to have to put your faith in what Jesus Christ has done for you. 
at some point you have to say, God, maybe you are more intelligent than I am. God, maybe your wisdom is greater than my wisdom. Maybe your understanding, God, is greater than my understanding. And I'm going to tell you this. I don't want to worship a God whose understanding and wisdom isn't greater than mine. You hear what I'm saying? I don't want to put and trust my life to some, to some God whose, whose intelligence is somewhere around mine. In fact, if that were the case, we'd all be in big trouble. <laughs> Ask my wife. <laughs> I'm just kidding, dear. Some of you saw that logo in our, in our lobby there. When I went to get the lobby, or get, get the lobby done, get the logo done, the fellow says to me, I want you to tell me everything you can about who you are and what you believe and why you're calling yourself Cross Church. I figured uh, that should be pretty easy to do, right? And so I sat down and I typed out very clearly this message of the cross about how Jesus is going to the cross to die for us to take away our sins. Because this is what we believe, right? Hello? This is what we believe, right? We're called Cross Church. So I, I sent in the email, fairly long little document, but very clear as to what it is that we believe. He calls me and says, um, I need you to come to my office. I came to his office. He sits down in his little boardroom, takes out the email that I sent to him with the information about our church, and he says to me, you don't really believe this, do you? What? Then I asked him a question. I said, do you have a church background? Because I thought to myself, that we're, he will not understand anything I'm saying unless I know where he's coming from. He says, well, yes. I grew up in the Roman Catholic Church, catechism, the whole nine yards. And um, yeah, yeah, I've got a church background. I said, didn't you learn any of this stuff there? Now, I'm not talking the Roman Catholic Church. A lot of Protestants don't know this stuff either. Didn't, didn't you learn any of this stuff? Well, a little bit of it. But he sat there and had no understanding, no clue of this message of the cross. What can wash away my sins? What can wash away my sins? What can take it away? A hundred year, hundred lifetimes of reincarnation? Looking in the mirror and saying, Alan, I forgive you. Your, your sins are all washed away. Oh, wouldn't that be great? Only problem is, is who am I to forgive my sins? The Apostle Paul says, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. They don't get it. And so the Apostle Paul stands up and says, if you want your sins washed away, you need to come to a loving Heavenly Father who gave His own Son to pay the penalty which your sin deserves. Do you hear what I'm saying today? Jesus, Jesus is the answer, my friends, to your sin problem. And I know looking over this crowd this morning, that there's some sitting here, even at this very moment, and guilt plagues your soul. 
And I want you to know today that through Jesus Christ and faith in what he's done for you at the cross, your sins can be washed away. You put your faith in Christ some years back, you became a Christian, but today your life is not what it needs to be. The good news of the gospel which is foolishness to those who are perishing, but is the power of God for those who are being saved, is that Jesus' sacrifice at the cross is once and for all. And you can come to him with whatever it is that you've done and find forgiveness, cleansing. Your sins can be washed away. This is not an easy message to believe. I know full well. But here's what it takes, my friends. It takes a humbling of our intellect to come before God and say, God, I don't get this. God, this is beyond what I can comprehend, but God, speak to my heart and let me understand it. And I can tell you today, that those who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Those who call upon the name of the Lord shall have the darkness taken from your eyes. The veil will be lifted. You'll be able to see the truth that sets you free. This is a supernatural act, my friends. You're sitting here today not just hearing a lecture. You are hearing truth that I pray is being quickened to your heart by the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit has to make you see it. The Holy Spirit has to help you understand it. And I'm telling you, he's here today to do that very work. It sounds like a foolish plan. But I can tell you this. It's the only plan. It's the only plan that requires faith. It's the only plan that offers eternal life. Wow. I want to just tell you, I told you about the, this ancient plan. I told you about the foolishness of the plan. I want to just tell you really quickly now in my last few minutes about the beauty of this plan. When I was in grade 10, we took Macbeth. Anybody hear of Macbeth? Marianne, I see you nodding. We're, we were at the same school. We were in the same English class. We talked a bit about this when we were in the Banff there. Mr. Babasa teaching us Shakespeare. And I'll never forget that story because I grew up hearing in Sunday school about how Jesus could wash away my sins. And you know the story, if, if you know the story, you know how it goes. Lady Macbeth, this character in Shakespeare's Macbeth, she's the wife of the play's protagonist, a nobleman, Scottish nobleman by the name of Macbeth. And she goads him into killing the king so that he could become king and so that she could become queen. The deed is done. And later she suffers pangs of guilt for her part in the crime. In her fifth act, she's sleepwalking. There's a sleepwalking scene. It's well known. As she's wringing her hands and looking at her hands and crying out, and you know it, out spot. The guilt, the stain of her sin could not be washed away. 
And later on, she dies off stage in the very last act in apparent suicide. What can wash away your sin? You don't need to commit suicide. What can wash away your sin? Embracing Hare Krishna? Shaving your hair into a ponytail and dancing on the streets in orange robes? What can wash away your sins? Jihad? Suicide bombing? Anyone? Seventy virgins in paradise? I don't mean to mock it, but, but I mean to tell you this, is that this is what people believe. And Jesus comes along and lays down his life for you and for me to wash away your sin as though you had never sinned. Now, I know some of you are sitting here today and say, yeah, but Pastor, you know there's people in my life, man, they'll, they'll hold my sin over my head for the rest of my life. How many know what I'm talking about? They never forget. They'll always remind me. You know what I'm talking about? You know what? People are people. <laughs> I pray that this church will always be a church where people do not condemn or judge, but recognize the power of the work of the blood of Christ in the life of those who said, Jesus, forgive me. So there's no condemnation here, but only a beautiful recognition that that one who's confessed his sin stands pure before God and before his brothers and sisters. Do you hear what I'm saying today? If you've asked God to forgive you, you are clean. And the one whom the Son sets free is free indeed. You're free. As though you'd never sinned. What can wash away my sin? Uh, some of you have been just like a horse in the stable, ready to take off because you want to say the rest of the words that go along with those words, right? You've been ready, you've been ready to break out into song. What can wash away my sin? That's right. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fountain, I know nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my pardon, this I see, nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my cleansing, this my plea, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing can for sin atone, nothing but. Not of good that I have done, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and all my peace. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Now by this, I'll overcome. Now by this, I'll be victorious. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Now by this, I'll reach my home. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Glory, glory, this I sing. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. 
All my praise for this I bring, nothing but the blood of Jesus. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Have you experienced the blood of Jesus applied to your heart? It's here for you today. Not for perfect people, it's for sinners. It's for people who know that they have failed and fallen short of the glory of God. It's for those who know and understand that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. We go to pastor's seminars. And they tell us there's a new way to preach. When you preach, don't use terminology like this. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Because that is going to turn people off. Because that sounds gross. It sounds gory. My friends, it is the eternal message preached by the Apostle Paul to a very, very pagan people. And the message that the Apostle Paul preached is the message that I must preach. What can wash away your sin? Well, there is nothing else, my friends. And anything else that I tell you that does not include the cross and the blood of Christ is empty talk. It's emptiness. What you need is you need to come to the cross and say, Jesus Wash away my sin. Can I just tell you something that I found, just found in preparing my message? Something that Martin Luther said. Does anybody know who Martin Luther is? Martin Luther, that monk, that Roman Catholic monk, who believed that he had to beat himself in order to get the forgiveness of God. That monk who was so haunted, if you will, by his sin in his continuing to sin and his question of what to do about that sin and what would wash away that sin would beat himself till he was a bloody pulp. One day was reading in the scripture that his sins be washed away simply by believing, by putting his faith in Christ. After he, did, he discovered this, listen, listen to what he says. He says, God proved his majesty by becoming human. And his splendor is best illustrated, his glory, the wonder of who he is, is best illustrated not by the magnificence of a mountain range. What? My beloved mountains? Not the benchmark for the splendor of God? No. No, Martin Luther says, no. It's not the magnificence of the mountain range that best illustrates the splendor and the glory of God. It's the humiliation of the cross that best demonstrates the glory of God. Jesus came to take away your sin to Mount Moriah. In obedience to God's great and ancient plan, it's foolishness to those who are perishing 
and who will not open their hearts up to the truth, but for those who believe, it's a beautiful plan. It's the power of God to save. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, I know today that there are some here who are living right now with a massive burden of sin and guilt and shame. God, I pray today that those who are carrying that heavy burden would come to the cross and let it all go. May they come to Calvary and say, Jesus, take away my sin. Give me a brand new heart and set me on my feet again. Lord, this is this is for your glory and for your honor. God, we know today what can wash us. We know today what can wash away my sin. It's the blood of Jesus poured down at Calvary. God, do that work right now, I pray. In the hearts of those who have that burden of sin. If there are any today yet who have thought for the longest time that Christianity is foolishness, God, today, would you open their eyes to see the beauty of what you have done for us? And would you let faith arise in that heart? Let faith flourish, O God. Let joy and gladness flourish in that heart. And for those of us who are where we need to be spiritually, may we find ourselves rejoicing in what Jesus has done at the cross. Amen.